For those who are visiting here, we have been studying the book of Daniel. So I invite you all to take your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 2. And as always, I encourage you to keep your Bibles open as we consider verses 1 through 23 this morning of Daniel 2. Find it on page 1,372 in your pew Bibles, 1,372. Daniel 2. Let's hear the word of the Lord. In the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams And his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. And the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I've had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. And the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces, and your houses shall be made an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time, because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There's not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree from the king so urgent? And Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. 
So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. So far, the reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. Have you ever gone through a difficult experience in your life in which you thought to yourself, how in the world can God use this for my good and his glory? I mean, it just doesn't seem to make any sense. Such thoughts could have easily entered the mind of Joseph as Midianite traders dragged him off to be sold as a slave in Egypt. Such thoughts could have also entered the mind of the Apostle Paul as he was made a prisoner in Rome. And brothers and sisters, such thoughts could have entered the mind of young Daniel and his friends as they were removed from their families and friends and led in chains to pagan, ungodly, man-centered Babylon. How in the world can God use this for my good and his glory? We said last week that Daniel was probably in his teens when Judah was forced into submission. Being a godly young man, how it must have grieved him to see the city of Jerusalem surrounded by a foreign army. Daniel undoubtedly knew what the psalm said about Jerusalem. Psalm 48, which we sang a portion of a moment ago, it speaks of the city of our God, his holy mountain, the city of the great king, God is in her palaces. Jerusalem was the city of cities, chosen as God's special dwelling place. There stood the temple. There the worshipers came to celebrate the special feasts. There the throne of God, the Ark of the Covenant, stood in the Holy of Holies. Jerusalem represented God's presence in the midst of his people. Then, brothers and sisters, what terrible grief there must have been when the armies of Nebuchadnezzar surrounded the city. For the godly in Israel, this was more than just a military defeat. It was a sign of God's anger with and disapproval of his people. Psalm 48 tells us that when they were faithful, when they were faithful to his covenant, heathen kings looked upon the city of God and were troubled. They hastened away. Fear took hold of them and pain as of a woman in travail. When the people of God lived by his word, Jerusalem was secure. It was an invincible fortress 
not because of its walls, towers, and strategic location. No, it was invincible because the Lord was in her midst. Therefore, when Daniel was dragged off to Babylon, he knew that it was due to the corporate sins of the nation. The congregation, as we read this book, we see that in the midst of judgment, God's mercy is also clearly revealed. Babylon was to be the place of Daniel's lifelong service in the kingdom of God. And through the faithfulness of Daniel and his companions, the name of Yahweh would be proclaimed among the heathen. At the end of Daniel's life, he could look back and say what the Apostle Paul confessed many years later in his prison cell. You remember what Paul said in Philippians 1 verse 12? He said, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. As Paul's time in prison was used of the Lord to exalt Christ, so Daniel's time in Babylon was used of the Lord to show forth his glory. When Joseph was brought to Egypt as a slave, God had a specific purpose in mind. Many years later, Joseph was able to say to his brothers who had treated him so shamefully, he was able to say, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. As Joseph was used of the Lord in Egypt, and as Paul was used of the Lord in a Roman prison, so Daniel was used of the Lord in Babylon. How in the world can God use this for my good and his glory? Brothers and sisters, he did, and he does. You never know where or how the Lord may use you. The most difficult experiences in your life may be the very means that the Lord uses to bring great honor to his name. Well, congregation, this morning we want to fix our attention on the first 23 verses of Daniel 2 where we see that the God of Daniel reveals deep and secret things. The God of Daniel reveals deep and secret things. Note from these verses the king's irrational anxiety, point number one. The king's intimidating announcement, point number two. And the king's invaluable advisor, point number three. The great and mighty Nebuchadnezzar was tossing and turning in his bed. And it wasn't because of indigestion or, or the strong dark roast coffee he drank. Look with me please in your Bibles to chapter 2 verse 1. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep left him. Boys and girls, have you ever had a dream during the night? I'm sure you have, right? Sometimes a dream can be very vivid in your mind. And it seems so real that when you wake up, it takes a few minutes before you come to your senses. You've had a bad dream, you might wake up with a start. Once you realize that it was only a dream, you're greatly relieved. Nebuchadnezzar, however, was not relieved when he woke up. He was not comforted by the fact that it was only a dream. 
His dreams were divinely prompted and left him with a restless spirit. His mind and heart were troubled and anxious. Nebuchadnezzar sensed that there was something ominous about the dreams, something threatening. Therefore, he, he couldn't get them out of his mind. It was commonly understood in the ancient Near East that the gods would speak to men through dreams, and therefore the king was very disturbed. Imagine, congregation, think about this for a moment. The great king of Babylon troubled by dreams. Nebuchadnezzar had everything a person could possibly want. I mean, he was powerful, intelligent, rich, and famous. He was in the process of building an absolutely splendid empire. Some of his building projects became wonders of the ancient world. And yet dreams filled him with anxiety. Although he was a very powerful man, he was inwardly insecure. He had everything except the one thing that he needed most. He lacked peace with God. Because he lacked peace with God, the dreams filled him with a feeling of foreboding uncertainty. Understand that Nebuchadnezzar controlled his world. When he spoke, people snapped to attention. Nothing could disturb his security. He was in charge. But he sensed in these dreams something he could not control, and it rattled him. Brothers and sisters, in Nebuchadnezzar's restlessness, we get a glimpse into the restlessness of many who do not know the true God of heaven and earth. Unbelievers can live a relatively happy life, right? Until something breaks their false peace. Something over which they have no control intrudes into their world. It is then that their deep-seated insecurity comes to the surface. Nebuchadnezzar is a prototype of many, many people today, some of whom could conceivably be in these very pews this morning. People who are determined to control their world, but unexpectedly find themselves in situations that shake them up. The self-sufficient farmer who wakes up one morning with a startling awareness of the brevity of life. The proud scientist who in a moment of honest reflection realizes that he has no real answers to the deep questions of life. The attractive wife and mother who recognizes that her beauty is fading and her days are numbered. The aggressive businessman who is suddenly rattled by the thought that all his money cannot keep him from death and the grave. The invincible teenager who finds himself standing beside the coffin of a friend and in that moment realizes that he is not so invincible after all. You see, it is in Christ alone, it is in Christ alone that we find the answers to life's questions. It is through faith in His name that we can lay our head on our pillow at night and say with the hymn writer, it is well, it is well with my soul. Nebuchadnezzar was a very successful monarch, feared and respected by all. 
But all it took, all it took was a few dreams to leave him anxious and sleepless. So, what did he do? Look at verse 2. Verse 2. The king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. He turned to the professionals. If anyone could provide assistance and remove his anxiety, surely they could. Were they not the wise men of the realm? Dear friends, the spiritually blind king turned to spiritually blind advisors. It was like going to an empty cistern to draw water. These men were educated and respectful royal consultants. But they were empty cisterns, for they had no knowledge of the truth and no relationship with the God of truth. They could do nothing to calm his restless spirit, for they were just as lost as he was. And brothers and sisters, there are people today who seek relief from their anxieties through spiritually blind counselors, therapists, gurus, and modern-day wizards. But they never find satisfactory answers to their questions or lasting rest for their souls. They look for water in cracked, empty cisterns. Where do you look when you're anxious? Where do you look when you're anxious? To whom do you turn? I want to remind you that you can only find peace and security in the Savior who gave himself for sinners at Calvary's cross. Without him, your problems cannot be rightly addressed. Are you troubled by irrational anxiety? The apostle said, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Be anxious for nothing. Well, notice how the king's irrational anxiety led to the king's intimidating announcement, which is point number two, the king's intimidating announcement. As these men stood before the king, he said to them, go to verse 3, I have had a dream. And my spirit is anxious to know the dream. I've had a dream that troubles me. And the astrologers answered the king, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give the interpretation. Now, there are some commentators who believe that Nebuchadnezzar could not remember the content of his dream. Maybe you've had that experience yourself. You know that you've dreamed. And maybe you vaguely remember some parts of it, but the central thrust of it is deleted from your memory. While it is possible that this happened to Nebuchadnezzar, it seems more likely that he knew the dream, but was testing the magicians to see whether they really had the powers that they claimed to have. The end of verse 9 seems to support this view. Tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. Unless they were able to tell the dream, he would have no confidence in their interpretation. The king knew that if he told them the dream, it would not be so difficult to fabricate an interpretation. 
According to verse 9, he believed that they had conspired to tell him lying and corrupt words. And so the king announced to these men, listen, I've got some good news and some bad news. First, the bad news, verse 5. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, there's going to be a bloodbath. I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into an ash heap. That's the bad news. The good news is this, verse 6. If you tell me the dream and explain it, you will be promoted. You'll receive gifts, rewards, and great honor. Nebuchadnezzar believed that if they were true magicians and astrologers and not phonies, they would able to be able to divine what he had dreamed. Brothers and sisters, we know these stories well, don't we? But this was not exactly a good time to be on the king's payroll. Talk about stress in the workplace. You think you have stress in the workplace. Stress in the workplace. Your boss demands that you do the impossible. Do your job or else. Failure to tell the dream and its interpretation would mean certain destruction. Notice the astrologer's response in verse 10. They answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. Verse 11, it is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh, or they do not live among men. Congregation, the astrologers were both right and wrong. They were right that this was beyond the ability of any mere man. There is not a man who can do this. They were right that this matter belonged to divinity. However, they were wrong when speaking of gods in the plural. They were polytheistic. Scripture emphatically declares that there's only one God, but they believed in many gods. Furthermore, the astrologers believe that the gods do not live among men. Only in the realm of the gods can you get an answer to this, and the gods do not live among men. Now, perhaps you smile when you read this. You're thinking to yourself, that's right, the gods with a small g and in the plural do not live among men. But God with a large g does live among men. There is a man, the God-man, Jesus, in whom are hidden, what? All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is the one who embodies the answers to life's difficult questions. He dwelt among men and revealed the deep things of God and the mysteries of the kingdom. When we worship and serve small g gods, we will never find the answers to all difficult questions. But the Bible declares that there is a God in heaven who has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. 
He has dwelt among men, and He's the only one who provides satisfying answers. He is the source and fountain of all wisdom and knowledge. Jesus, the God-man, lived among men. He dwelt with mortals. Now, brothers and sisters, isn't it interesting how these magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers were forced to it an admission of human limitation and weakness? Under normal circumstances, they enjoyed playing God. But now, with the sentence of death hanging over them, they were quite willing to acknowledge their human limitations. But the king became furious. It was a fearful sight. What am I paying you for? You eat my food and drink my wine, but when I need you, you can't help me. You are nothing but counterfeits and charlatans. His insecurity was so great that he lost control. And what did he do? Children, what did he do? He issued a command to execute all the wise men of Babylon. His words were no idle threat. They would be cut in pieces and their houses would be made in ash heap. There were going to be many funerals in Babylon in coming days. The butchery would begin immediately. Go with me to verse 13. So the decree went out, and they began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. It seems that by this time, Daniel and his friends had graduated from the University of Babylon and were numbered among the company of the wise men. However, it was the older, more experienced and influential men, those who had served as advisors for many years, who were called into the king's presence. Daniel and his companions were not consulted and were left into the dark until the order was given to execute the wise men. But congregation, you can see how the Lord was using this crisis as an occasion through which Daniel would be brought to the foreground of leadership. The Lord was sovereignly directing it all so that young Daniel would rise above all others in the realm and be able to testify before Nebuchadnezzar of the superior power of Yahweh. The Lord is sovereign over the details of history. And yes, he is sovereign over the details of your life. Through the king's irrational anxiety and the king's intimidating announcement, the Lord was accomplishing his purposes. And he is accomplishing his purposes in your life. So Nebuchadnezzar's decree was published, and the soldiers prepared themselves for the gruesome slaughter. Like Daniel, many of the wise men probably had no idea what they were being arrested for. You can see, congregation, just how disturbed Nebuchadnezzar was. His rash command was an indication of how much his dream haunted him. He was willing to command mass killings 
and he was willing to shed the blood of his closest advisors, his anxiety was such that he became totally unreasonable. And so it happened that Ariok, the commander of the king's guard, came knocking on Daniel's door. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were all to be arrested and escorted to the place of execution. How quickly things can change in a person's life, in your life as well. How quickly things can change. We come then to our third point, the king's invaluable advisor. The king's invaluable advisor. When Ariah came to arrest Daniel and his companions, Daniel asked why the king's decree was so harsh. Verse 14 says that Daniel's interaction with Ariok was characterized by what? Counsel and wisdom. Another translation says wisdom and tact or prudence and discretion. He didn't reply harshly. He didn't panic. He didn't rise to self-defense or badmouth the king. He answered carefully, calmly, and respectfully. After he learned the details from Arioch, Daniel decided to go and personally seek an audience with the king. Consider, congregation, the astonishing measure of faith in this young man. Nebuchadnezzar was not exactly in a good mood. He was a bear, a paranoid king, angry, irritated, and frustrated. No doubt when Daniel arrived at the court, lava was still flowing everywhere. And the king was still steaming over the stupidity of his worthless advisors. Why did I ever hire those idiots, incompetent fools? Nevertheless, we read in verse 16 that Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. Now, someone might say, well, Daniel had nothing to lose, right? Daniel had nothing to lose. If he didn't go to the king, he would have been killed by Arioch and his men. At least now he managed to stay his execution for a time. But Daniel's intent was not merely to buy time. Daniel really believed that it was possible for him, by the will of God, to interpret the king's dream. He was able to do what the astrologer said was impossible for mortal men. Now, brothers and sisters, I ask you this question. Where did Daniel get such faith and confidence to make this offer to the king? What did he know that all the magicians, astrologers, sorcerers, and Chaldeans didn't know? I believe the answer is this. Daniel and his friends were well-versed in the Scriptures. Because he was well-versed in the Scriptures, he knew the story of whom? Of Joseph and his experiences in Egypt. Many years earlier, Joseph had also been a captive in a foreign land. While he was unjustly confined to prison, he met two of Pharaoh's officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. One night, they each had a, children, a dream. Remember? 
When Joseph heard their dreams, he was able to interpret them. Within three days, the butler would be restored to his place to serve in the presence of Pharaoh. And within three days, the chief baker would be decapitated and fed to the birds. Within three days, Joseph's interpretation of the dreams were perfectly, flawlessly fulfilled. Fast forward. Two years later, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh himself, had a dream. Like Nebuchadnezzar, Genesis 41 says, his spirit was troubled. And like Nebuchadnezzar, he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. But like Nebuchadnezzar, Pharaoh could find no one in all his realm who was able to interpret the dream. Finally, the chief butler spoke up and shared with Pharaoh what he had experienced in prison. Pharaoh then sent for Joseph, and sure enough, Joseph was able to provide the interpretation. But before he did so, what did he say? It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer. It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer. Joseph made it abundantly clear that of himself he could do nothing. He could do nothing for Pharaoh. His ability to interpret the king's dream was only by the power of God whom he loved, worshipped, and served. Brothers and sisters, Daniel undoubtedly knew these stories. His situation in Babylon was very similar to Joseph's in Egypt. Daniel believed that what God was able to do through Joseph, he was also able to do through him. But Daniel's situation was even more difficult than Joseph's in that Pharaoh told Joseph his dream while Nebuchadnezzar would not do so. Humanly speaking, the situation was more difficult for Daniel. But what was impossible for man it's not difficult for God. He could approach the king with confidence because he knew and believed the Scriptures and because he kept his eyes fixed on God. So Nebuchadnezzar granted Daniel the time that he requested, and he returned to his home. You know, the fact that Nebuchadnezzar gave him more time was also by the providential direction of God. In his irrational frame of mind, the king could have said, forget it. You're only stalling to buy more time. You're just like the rest of them. But by the work of God within, Nebuchadnezzar must have seen something different in Daniel. Daniel was not intimidated. He must have seen something different in Daniel, and he granted his request. So Daniel went back to his house, and what did he do there, children? Two things. Two things. First, in verse 17, he explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. As believers, you are always strengthened as you share your load with other believers. It's one of the reasons why fellowship after our services is very important. It's an important time. We bear one another's burdens. 
Daniel was able to fellowship with these three men, and they were able to encourage each other in the Lord. How important it is, congregation, to have like-minded Christians to fellowship with, especially in those times of crisis, sorrow, and calamity. If you are a person, if you are a person who simply isolates yourself, you are missing out on one of the means God uses to encourage you and strengthen you in faith. Committed believers, strengthen your soul. We uphold each other. That's how it must have been for Daniel as he discussed the situation with his three friends. Second, Daniel not only made the decision known to his three companions, but he also, what? Solicited their prayers. He also solicited their prayers. Look at verse 18. that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret so that Daniel and his companions might not perish, might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Daniel understood, you see, that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, James 5. As you go on in this book, you see that Daniel's life was marked by a prayerful relationship with God. He understood the privilege and the importance of prayer. And therefore, he called his friends at this critical time to join him in a special season of prayer to plead for mercy from the God of heaven. Congregation, do you believe that prayer is one of the great weapons against the powers of darkness? That by means of diligent prayer, the forces of the evil one are restrained? God invites us to commune with him and to lay our needs before him, our concerns before him through prayer. Are you a man, a woman, a young person of prayer? Do you solicit the prayers of others in this church in times of trial? Joseph Scriven, whom I'm sure you all know well, he said, have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Daniel understood just how important it was. In congregation, their prayers were certainly not in vain. The very next verse, verse 19, says, Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. The Lord heard the fervent prayers of those four righteous men and granted Daniel both the dream and its meaning. That which the magician said was impossible was proven possible through the power of God. Daniel's God was revealing himself as the God of gods, the true and living God, the sovereign one. And so in verses 20 to 23, we see Daniel's response to God's revelation. What was his response? Did he rush over to his friends and tell them the good news? Or did he rush over to the king to claim the promised reward of verse 6? Daniel could have immediately gone to receive gifts and great honor. The prize is mine. This is the opportunity of a lifetime. 
promotion, wealth, and recognition. I'll be on the front page of the Babylonian Times. I'll be interviewed by all the reporters, thrust into the limelight. This is my hour of glory. I've won the jackpot. Children, was that Daniel's first reaction? Not at all. There's no thought of reward whatsoever, no thought of self-advancement. His response was a response of worship and praise. He was so awestruck by God's goodness in answering his prayer and by the meaning of Nebuchadnezzar's dream that he could do none other than praise God. One author said, the test of our spirituality does not lie only in the fervency of our prayers in times of crisis, but in the wholeheartedness of our worship when God acts in grace. Relief unaccompanied by worship is never an adequate response to the mercies of God. Hear that? Relief unaccompanied by worship is never an adequate response to the mercies of God. Sometimes when we are in need, we pray fervently, and God answers. He graciously answers our prayer, and we're delighted. But our response of gratitude is so often very inadequate, isn't it? Not so with Daniel. Verse 19b says, he praised, he blessed the God of heaven. And then look with me, please, in your Bibles at verse 20. Go to verse 20. Daniel said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. Daniel prays God for his eternal wisdom and power. He prays God for his controlling hand in creation and history. He prays God as the one who reveals deep and hidden things. To sum it up, he prays God for his incomprehensible sovereignty. Daniel's life or death was not in the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Neither was Israel's future. His future and Israel's future were in the hands of his omnipotent God. Do you believe that in your life as well? God, Jehovah reigns. Nebuchadnezzar may have been the supreme ruler of the day, but it is the Lord who removes kings and sets up kings. Nebuchadnezzar possessed no more power than what was allotted to him by God. And as we will see next week, the Lord willing, from Daniel's interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the ultimate, eternal, unconquerable, universal, unstoppable king, the king of kings is Jesus Christ.
So, brothers and sisters, this section concludes with praise and thanksgiving. Verse 23, I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Daniel was overflowing with adoration and awe. His God was so great and glorious that he could not contain his praise. Congregation, what are your thoughts of God this morning? What are your thoughts of God this morning? Do you praise Him for His wisdom and power? Do you worship Him for His controlling hand in creation and history? Do you trust Him as Lord of your life, of your family? Do you praise Him for the wisdom that He imparts to His people? Do you testify of His greatness to the world around you? The Lord has given you much more than a revelation in a dream. Through His complete written word, He has made known to you the true Savior and King who leads us to life eternal. Daniel rejoiced in the revealing of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. But how much more, how much more ought you to rejoice in God's revelation to you? The revelation that you possess points you to Jesus Christ, the God-man who lived among men. It points you to the cross and to the eternal kingdom that is yours by faith. Then what is your response? God's revelation to you. Are you excited about it as Daniel was excited? Do you worship as Daniel worshipped? Are you filled with adoration and awe? The same God who directed Daniel directs you today through his word and spirit. Then bow before him Seek his direction through the word and prayer and never cease to worship him, the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. As we close this morning, I leave you with these important questions. Is Daniel's God and Savior your God and Savior? Is Daniel's king your king? It has the God who gave peace to Daniel in the midst of the storm given you peace in the midst of your storms. Turn to him in faith. Trust King Jesus and his plan for your life. And the next time, the next time you are tempted to ask, how in the world can God use this for my good and his glory? Remember. He can, and he does. He can, and he does. Let's pray.
Lord our God. Fill your people here with that overwhelming awe and adoration and praise that you gave to Daniel and to his friends. We confess, Lord, that sometimes, like Nebuchadnezzar, there are times when irrational anxiety takes hold of our hearts. We ask your forgiveness. Nebuchadnezzar did not know you, the only true living sovereign God. We know you. You have revealed yourself to us in the scriptures. And so forgive us, Lord, when we have that irrational anxiety gripping our hearts, dominating our minds, taking over us, so that, Lord, we, like Nebuchadnezzar, toss and turn on our beds. We pray, Lord, that we might remember your promises and to be encouraged by the fact that God gives to his beloved sleep. You are our light and our salvation. We have no reason to fear. You are the strength of our life. We have no reason to be afraid. So, Lord, in the midst of those anxious moments of life, may we turn to you, the living God. May we remember that our Lord Jesus, the God-man, did dwell among mortals, among men. And in him, we have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So, Lord, may we, as your people, be confident that even as you were orchestrating events in that day, so you are today. Lord, we look at our world, we see nations uh, rising and falling, uh, we see uh, powerful organizations. We see those who, uh, with much money, are accomplishing many evil things. And sometimes, Lord, it can also uh, greatly disturb us, but remind us again and again that you are on the throne and that the ultimate king revealed in Nebuchadnezzar's dream is King Jesus the one before whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. So may the circumstances of our life today not overwhelm us, but may we turn to you in faith. As Daniel had to live by faith, and as he undoubtedly had to remind himself of what you had written in the Old Testament Scriptures. So, Lord, may we live by faith today, remind ourselves over and over again what you have revealed of yourself, what you have accomplished in history, what is contained on the pages of Holy Scripture, so that we may live faithfully in our day, not panicking, not being anxious or troubled about the events of our world, but living, Lord, with that rock-solid confidence in our King who has promised that he is coming again. Hear us, Lord, in his name. Amen.